Hello, Catherine here. If you're listening to my podcast because you're a fan of wintering, the good news is that my new book, Enchantment, is available now. It's a book about how we can find a way to reconnect with a world that's sometimes hard to live in and even to find magic there. It's available in all good bookshops and please support your local indie if you can. For more information, you can go to katherine-may.com forward slash enchantment. Happy reading. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, I'm Catherine May and welcome to The Wintering Sessions, the podcast that sets out to learn from the times when life is frozen. This week I'm talking to Nicholas Lawson, the journalist whose newsletter, The Single Supplement, has changed the conversation about the single life and created a thriving digital community of women who don't need to be seeking the one. But that doesn't mean Nicola's only interested in painting a rosy picture of living alone. Her work delves into the truth and complexity of her chosen path, both the pleasures of enjoying your own company and the problems that can arise. When we recorded this interview in October, we spoke about a time of intense isolation in Nicola's life and the resilience that she found within it. Today, I'm delighted to welcome Nicola Slauson, journalist and author of The Single Supplement, a newsletter dedicated to the single life. Welcome, Nicola. Oh, thank you very much. <laughs> it's lovely to be here, virtually. It's lovely to talk <laughs> to you. Yeah, virtually. Yeah. Oh, these, these virtual recordings continue, and I'm not sure if I ever want to stop now, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if when, you know, the different lockdowns are over, I'll end up recording in a studio. I doubt it somehow. This is quite convenient, really. Yeah, isn't it? <laughs> it's appalling. Okay, so I've got loads I want to talk to you about today because you have become, I don't know whether accidentally or not, but the kind of poster girl for being single, um, <laughs> which I think we needed that person, didn't we? I think we needed, we needed someone to, to tell us it's all okay. So I want to talk a bit about the single life, mm. but first of all, you're going to talk to us about a period in your life, which is, is kind of relevant to all of that, but mm. your, your own wintering period yeah. when you were living in Berlin. How, first of all, how did you come to be living in Berlin? Because that sounds unspeakably glamorous to me. It does, doesn't it? I was so excited before I went. 
So I'd been a journalist for a couple of years and I applied for this European Journalism Fellowship scheme um, where journalists from around Europe go to Berlin for a few months to work at a newspaper there and to work on their own journalism as well. So I applied to that and decided to go. Um, And I used to live abroad. So I I think it was a period for me where I was sort of getting to grips with living in London after Mm. I'd I'd lived in Spain and South Korea and had periods in Italy as well. So then suddenly I was in, yeah, suddenly I was in London (laughs) sort of full time. So is this, are these places that your reporting has taken you to? Is that, is that? No, it's actually before as a journalist. So I was actually an English teacher, a teacher of of English as a foreign language, but not like oh. um, a gap year. It was like my actual job. <laughs> I always have to point that out because uh, I have qualifications. Um, <laughs> You're bona fide. <laughs> I have a job, yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I'd been doing that and I moved back to the UK to retrain as a journalist. And it was quite a shock to the system because I was an intern again uh, at the age of 29 and all my friends at that stage were all getting promotions at work, Mm. getting pay rises, like moving on ahead, moving in with boyfriends, getting married, you know, all those kind of things. And I was an intern. (laughs) So (laughs) felt like starting all over again. Yeah, sort of. I was like, I'm back to square one and everyone's ahead of me. It's it's a horrible feeling. And because I was single at the time, it was sort of magnified. Plus, I was really, really skint. Mm. And so I went to Berlin about a couple of years after that kind of period, but I was still quite junior and not able to like fully enjoy living in London, for example, because I didn't have the money to go out for dinner all the time, which is so common in London. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess I was looking for a bit of excitement where somebody else paid me to do something. (laughs) I love the kind of excitement that someone else pays for. um, And actually, I'd been to Berlin in my early 20s and completely fallen in love with it. And I was like, I want to live here one day. So when this opportunity came up, I was like, I have to have to take it. Mm. But in the end, it was the worst period of depression of my life. I laugh about it now, but it was just uh, because I'd wanted it for so long, like dreamed of living in Berlin. I just thought it was the coolest place ever and that I would be cool if I lived there. And then (laughs) in the end, I just spent most of the two months lying on a bed watching Gilmore Girls, uh, binge watching it while eating fast food. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, actually, that that paints quite a fun picture. but It It wasn't remotely glamorous. (laughs) So, I mean, like, I love Berlin, too. It's an incredible city. It just exudes this kind of easygoing call that I think is quite unexpected from what we tend to assume about Germany and Germans, maybe. Yeah. But what was the Berlin like that you ended up living in? Well, I had a really cool like studio flat been designed by these like architects that was like designed for Airbnb. And it was meant to be like a really useful functional space for like a weekend visit. So there's loads of like hidden storage and stuff like that. Mm. Um, so, I mean, it would be amazing for a weekend, but I was there for two and a half months or something like that. Right. And it was just like a concrete block, basically. <laughs> with a big wooden bed which had all the storage and like a desk attached it was like I can't really describe Uh, it was weird a bit like a student room maybe yeah but it was bigger than that but it was yeah but it was more like it was a concrete block it was weird like (laughs) (laughs) and when I first got there 
I was all really excited. But the girl that I was sort of closest to was on the same program actually had to go to um, Hamburg, I think. So I didn't know the other people as well. And they all seemed to know loads of people in Berlin already. So firstly, there was that. There was sort of a bit of a disconnect, I guess. And I think that they thought I was like super confident and, you know, had loads of friends and because people do think that mm. about me. <laughs> and I'm actually like quite awkward. <laughs> um, so I It's all coming out now. Yeah. We, we, we all know now. Sorry. <laughs> I didn't want to be like, please, can we be friends? So, you know. And what's it what's it like I mean I've like I've never done what you've done and like moved to a whole new city I mean you've obviously done it loads of times in another country and all of that kind of thing how do you make connections there it must be really challenging yeah I think that was the problem I'd done it before and really lucked out with making connections and so when it didn't happen in Berlin and then there was all sorts of stuff with the newspaper that I was working with as well, which I'll get into. But um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so in Spain, for example, the first few weeks, I actually only had one friend who is the girl I worked with who was older than me and quite shy and quiet. Mm. We had like one glass of wine on a Friday night and she'd be like, oh, better go. <laughs> <laughs> and uh and I'd be like, oh, should we have one more? And she was like, oh, twist my arm. You know, she was really nice, but she she wasn't into like socialising, which is fine. Because I, I just sort of assumed, oh, there's another person working there. They'll be able to introduce me to another young person, sorry, I should say. Because mm. there were other people working there as well. And so what I did was I just joined a couch surfing, which sounds weird because I wasn't actually going to sleep on people's couches, but it was like a meetup group. And okay. there was like a language exchange on a Friday. So I just went to that to learn Spanish, made loads of friends, ended up in a salsa bar at like 2 a.m. And those people were still my friends. <laughs> That's what you expect do when yeah. you move to Spain like that's, that's the dream that you have like 2am salsa I know and... well the first two weeks I was like oh my god I've made a terrible error um I'm not gonna have any friends it's just gonna be one glass of wine on a Friday night um that'll be it but it's okay I soon uh, did make loads of friends with both the locals and other sort of teachers as well so right. um and I also dragged my colleague along with me to quite a few events so she did come out for shell eventually so that was good <laughs> But you found that in Berlin, the same thing didn't happen. Didn't happen at all. No. Mm. Um, don't know if Berlin's a bit too cool. <laughs> Were you cool enough for Berlin? I, I, no, I wasn't <laughs> at all. And also, like, I thought, oh, I'm at this big newspaper and I'd been working for The Guardian mainly. You know, that The Guardian has stuff like a yoga class, a choir. Oh, wow. It's not just the pub. I mean, there are lots of trips to the pub, but I'm, I don't want it to seem like this just centers around alcohol there's lots of things going on at the guardian that aren't for example to do with alcohol Mm. and so I thought there'd be you know stuff like that kind of going on at the newspaper and if there was nobody ever told me about it I mean it didn't help that I didn't know the language yeah that's one of my questions do you speak fluent German no no no, my German's not very good at all I did study at school but um the fellowship said oh it's not a problem don't worry about that and I'd spoken to people who'd done it before (laughs) and they said it wasn't a problem at all but in my team the women were amazing and really friendly, took me for lunch and stuff like that. And then the men just didn't want to speak to me. <laughs> <laughs> and unfortunately, all the women went away on um, foreign reporting projects about two weeks into my time in Berlin. So nobody spoke to me. Well, that sounds incredibly lonely. It was awful. And I I know that I could have um, done something about it. I should have asked to move desks. There was an, a, a, the opinion desk were really friendly towards me always coming to see if I was all right 
uh, I should have just asked to move onto that desk, but instead I just decided to persevere. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> and so in the end, well, no one spoke to me. No one asked me to do any work. You know, I'd be like, is there anything for me to do? Oh, no, I'm sure you can work on your own stuff. And, <laughs> and then I got like a cold or something and I didn't go in and nobody even noticed. Oh, my God. Oh, that's so horrible. That was when I was like, oh, God, nobody cares that I'm here or not. I just It just really knocked my confidence because mm. I'd been mm. on this sort of high because I'd made my dream come true of working at The Guardian. And I was sort of riding yeah. this, soaring this high back in London. And then my confidence was just completely knocked. And, yeah, I just feel really an isolating experience. Plus, I was in this sort of concrete block. And then basically I just stopped going because then I got really depressed. And so I just couldn't make myself go in. Oh, no. So you were sitting in your kind of concrete block all day. And so I was just there. And I I got really upset about the idea of getting locked in my bathroom because it was also a concrete block. There would have been no way of making any noise that would anyone would have heard. And also no one at the work would have noticed because they didn't notice that I didn't yeah. come in. And then it's a self-fulfilling prophecy because you feel really low. You know that you should connect with people. Mm. Um, and I'm all about connection. Even though I write about being single, my sort of whole philosophy is all about connecting with other people, finding your tribe. Yeah, sure. And I sort of completely disconnected. And and because I've sort of had depression and it comes and goes, I know my sort of techniques to manage it mm. and all of the things centre on, you know, getting out of the house <laughs> yeah. uh, and stuff like that. And I, I didn't do any of those things and it just went downhill quite fast. And actually the worst period was the Trump election uh, because mm. I think that in the years before that I'd worked at Positive News and I just got really taken with the idea that like there was this going to be this like real progression real positive social change I was so optimistic I was like sort of taken on this seat I also worked at this um, co-working space with loads of social entrepreneurs right who were all doing amazing things to change the world and I sort of got carried away on this wave and then the first sort of knock to that was Brexit. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. And that was really hard for me because my parents voted to leave and I, could, I couldn't believe it. And we had a huge row and, and everything. Mm. And then I still thought, no, like things are still getting better in the world. People are going to be more together and less at each other's throats. Um, you know, I don't know <laughs> but why it I turns out it. that no, we, we're not. <laughs> and I actually went to the a democratic viewing party in Berlin because oh, wow. um, to report on it actually um, although actually there was some kind of miscommunication and well that's another story but basically <laughs> the German newspaper I told them I'm going they were like oh we don't need that and then on the day they were like oh we don't have anyone and I'd already told them oh no yeah anyway you were so irrelevant to I'm them weren't so you? Just irrelevant. Awful. <laughs> anyway so I went to sort of report on it even though I wasn't actually I mean, I was going to file something if they needed it. And uh, I was just with all these young 20-somethings who were all doing like a study abroad, term abroad kind of thing. Mm. And just watching their little faces, (laughs) the disappointment. And then I think because of the lack of sleep, the next day I just didn't leave the house. And then it just continued then. I just fell into this deep slump. Um, You're in a kind of spiral. Yeah. I think it's so important to talk about this, though, because I think over the last five years or so, there have been this series of events that have 
really affected people's mental mm. health, like that affected their sense of hope. Yes. And it's it's not necessarily that those things alone have done it. No. It's just that if you've got other stuff going on. Yeah. Those bigger world events. I mean, and you know, the pandemic is one of them yep. as well. Yeah, definitely. And, and also the kind of ongoing story of kind of environmental destruction. Yep. If you're already low, that mm. stuff can drag you so far really, down and yep. really impact your ability to feel hopeful, I think. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, there's that sort of saying the personal is political or the political mm, is personal. Mm. That's how it felt. It felt like a personal, I suddenly realised that life like the world wasn't how I saw it and I yeah. maybe I'd been really naive before that but I just it was like a huge wake-up call for me and yeah mm. I did I lost all my hope I was just like well what's the point <laughs> and you know positive news it's all about like shining a light on the good things that are happening because watching the news can be so depressing and I say this mm. as a journalist who writes the news it can be really hard. And I think that that was part of it as well. I've been working nonstop on sort of news and it takes its toll on journalists and it's not something you're supposed to talk about as well um, because you're supposed to be really hard and, you know, yeah, yeah, we're news journalists. Nothing bothers us. We're just about the story and all this. And actually we're all human. Mm. I mean, it occurs to me that actually... We've talked a lot, I think, in our society over the last few years as well about echo chambers and mm. being in our bubble and all this kind of thing. And we've come to talk about that as if it's a negative thing. But the truth was that we liked our bubbles because they were happy places and they were often places of hope and optimism and this this kind of idea that things were getting better, that you felt really strongly. Mm. And we're now living in an age where we know that we're not allowed our echo chambers anymore. And we're kind of left with confronting this series of really brutal realities. And that's just incredibly hard. And it must be even worse for journalists because you cannot look away. It is your job Mm. to deal with that stuff. Yeah, definitely. It can get really tricky. I mean, you know, it's just been relentless, the news, the last few years. And obviously with the pandemic, And it's part of the reason I actually went freelance last year because I was in a news role full time and you just have to be completely tuned in on the news all of the time. And keeping that up, it's exhausting. And then things like, you know, Grenfell Tower, for example, that really affected me um, because I had I was sort of a news reporter at nights and quite often you have to do quite a lot of watching of videos and things to see whether to put it in like the live blog, for example. So I I watched a lot of videos that I wouldn't recommend anyone watch um, Mm. from sort of inside the tower. Um, And I had nightmares for weeks or months afterwards um, Mm. about some of those things. Um, And then, yeah, it's just Mm. there was all the terrorist attacks. So, yeah, it's just the last few years. And I think it all started for me. It all started to dawn on me that actually this is not very healthy, probably when I was in Berlin, because that's how much the news affected me that something that happened in a totally different country that's got nothing to do with me really (laughs) just floored me and it was because I was going sort of down the hole um because of the situation with feeling really lonely and having my confidence knocked at work and Mm. yeah just feeling really isolated and away from my family and friends it's the way those things cluster isn't it Yeah. yeah and then this big thing happened And also I was single at the time and I was struggling with being single. So it's funny that you call me a poster girl for being single. Yes, it is. (laughs) 
because back then I definitely was not a poster girl. I mean, if someone could have filmed me, like I was just sort of basically lying in my pants watching Gilmore Girls. I mean, I didn't even watch Gilmore <laughs> Girls when it was on the TV the first time round. <laughs> binge watch this show and actually when I did go and see a therapist they did say because I'd started watching it again and I was feeling really low I don't know why <laughs> I have to stop watching this show but um it's about quite quite a positive relationship between a mother yeah, and daughter yeah. and at the time I was having a quite tense relationship with my mother and so she was like maybe that's why you're finding it so depressing because it's showing you on tv what a good positive relationship could be like so wow. basically I have to stop watching Gilmore Girls but on the single thing yeah I certainly wasn't the poster girl back then and I was really down about it and also I think I thought oh I'll go to Berlin and I'll find a handsome German man um and I just didn't want to leave the house and you can't really meet yeah, people hard, if you don't leave to the find house them. yeah yeah they're not they're not lurking around your flat thank goodness. they were not lurking around my flat no sadly or even like at the takeaway down the road um no. <laughs> so in a funny sort of a way, was that time a shift that you needed to make almost? It sounds mm. like a load of things coalesced in that weird Airbnb in Berlin. Yeah. And it, it sounds like it was you were ready for that great big revolutionary change. Yeah, almost. I think that because um, actually when I got back to um, London, it was in the new year, I very quickly moved out of my flat share and into a studio flat, which... When I sort of think about now and think, oh my goodness, why would I have done that when I was so miserable? Mm. But actually, I think the problem was I didn't feel like I belonged. Um, And so having a place of my own that was actually nice and that I could have people around and I knew people because I I moved to an area of London near my cousin and near other friends. So it felt like a totally different um, sort of kettle of fish. So you had to start solving the problem of your loneliness in general rather than just... And that I, moment in Germany and I weirdly did it by moving <laughs> by myself but, <laughs> but it, it worked out much better for me because I, I did feel yeah. a bit lonely in the flat with the flat share because I knew it wasn't right it wasn't my house it was a living landlord uh, right. I couldn't have friends over really um, it was a tiny tiny little room so just to be able to have friends to stay and to yeah. feel more like my own space and to put some of my things on the wall and stuff like that. It just makes a difference, I think. Oh my goodness, you can feel so lonely in mixed accommodation, yeah. much more than you can on your own, you know, like you can do your own thing in your own place. And yeah. actually when where you're living never quite feels like home, that's that's yes. really a horrible situation to be in. Yeah, and then after that, I also did lots of self-work. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, including, I mean, I've had, I'm in therapy, but I had, um, I did the artist way, which is a creativity. Oh, yes. uh, so I got more into writing actually, because I was, I'd always written and then I became a journalist and then it kind of sucked all my writing. And so I wasn't really mm. doing the creative kind of writing or the personal writing. We'll be back with more from Nicola in a moment, but first I want to let you know about my online course, Wintering for Writers, which is back online after a successful first run this summer. Wintering for Writers is designed to be a beautiful, reflective process for writers who are currently struggling, as so many are in this pandemic year. If you're feeling blocked or are losing hope, it's packed with videos and thought-provoking texts to help you to rethink your practice and there's an exclusive workbook to support your reflection. Best of all, 
you can work at your own pace and in complete privacy as you write yourself back into your creative flow. To find out more, go to katherine-may.com and click on courses or follow the link in the show notes. And now back to Nicholas Lawson. I know from teaching writing that journalists are really flipped upside down by being journalists. You know, like quite a lot of journalists want to be a different kind of writing. They want to write fiction or memoir or whatever. But actually the demands of journalism as a craft are quite in conflict with self-expression and Mm. and the kind of more creative writing you might want to do. Michael's story is full of slightly disoriented journalists, actually. And they're adorable uh, and I love them. That's, uh, that's, that's <laughs> <tea. laughs> I was like, I've always wanted to be a writer. And it just wasn't, I mean, sometimes I get to write in my journalism, get to write quite creatively if I'm mm. doing a big feature, for example. But often when you're a news reporter, you don't get to do that kind of thing. It's just, it's quite formulaic and you're just like in and out. It's not really about the writing and everyone thinks you, you get into journalism for the writing, but it's more about finding the story and doing the interviews and stuff like that, which I still really enjoy. And the pace must be so fast as well. Yeah, it really is. And so in the last sort of few years, yeah, I've been concentrating on trying to make sure I've got an outlet for my other kind of writing, um, which I definitely, it definitely got lost in the, (laughs) in that period. Because I mean, it started then, but actually it probably, the period of feeling really low and feeling really low about my work as well. Because I think like getting my confidence knocked and also I'd had a few knocks at The Guardian because every job I applied for, I got shortlisted for. And then the job got cancelled. <laughs> that was... Hard not to take that personally. Yeah. <laughs> it's a hiring freeze, but it just felt like yeah. I wasn't getting anywhere. And, um, and I just got really awful imposter syndrome, actually. And I think it did start in Berlin because I felt like, one, I couldn't feel more like a fraud being in this shiny newsroom not being able to speak the language and not having any ideas that would work because they put me in a really random sort of section (laughs) Um, and I wasn't allowed to write about the UK because Mm. they had a British correspondent but I couldn't also write about being a Brit in Germany so I just couldn't (laughs) write write about anything basically um (laughs) stop moaning about that it's like it's coming back to me the anger I was like (laughs) but it did it did really knock my confidence and even when I got back to London and I was back in the Guardian yeah I just couldn't come up with any new ideas because when you're feeling really low it's really hard to be creative and Mm, to and when you're feeling stressed or anxious trying to force yourself to come up with fresh new ideas I mean it's the same during this the pandemic I haven't pitched as much and I sort of keep beating Mm. myself up for not pitching. But also you're not doing the normal things that you would be doing um, where you find stories, where you meet people. And loads of people are really struggling. Yeah. And it was the same in Berlin. I wasn't going out. I I mean, I did a little bit, but I wasn't regularly meeting people or going to events and meetings and stuff like that, where you sort of listen to people chatting. Because this is so much where journalism, news stories, sorry, come from. And also stories for more creative writing. It's just sort of mm-hmm. listening to people and noticing trends. And oh, I think that's so true. Do you know what it, that speaks to me a lot actually? Because I've got a new book due, oh, wow. um, and I, it's been a real struggle because of the lack of contact with other people. Mm. And I'm quite reclusive. You know, I'm not a social butterfly. 
I like to work very alone and, you know, in complete silence. It's not like I'm missing the buzz of a newsroom or an office or whatever. But what I found hard is like the the lack of gossip, you know, the lack of those casual conversations that just trigger one tiny little thing or you express something that you were thinking all along, but you weren't able to particularly get out of your head until you were in conversation. Mm. It's, It's really micro level stuff, but you somehow don't move forward, I think. Yeah, I mean, I am a social butterfly. That's, you know, that's what I'm known for, like the party organiser, the, it was called the queen of the hustle, actually, at The Guardian, because wow. of my networking and always finding new connections and stuff like that. And I think when I went to Berlin and none of those skills that I was able to sort of draw on, I did feel like I had my wings clipped and it took away my identity and my mm. creativity. Because like you were saying, I wasn't having those kind of where you bounce, you almost like you do. I think it's sort of randomizers, you know, yeah. like the, I always call it the randomizers, the stuff that you can't predict or plan. Yeah. And then you can rip off that. Throw something into your day. Yeah. yeah. And it yeah. might not be, you might not write about that conversation at all, but it might riff off that or yeah. spark something else or think, oh, well, that reminds me of something else somebody said. And so yeah, true. when you're just lying on a double bed in your pants watching Gilmore Girls, like you're not really... <laughs> You're not creative. You're not. <laughs> you're not. Uh, I just didn't feel like myself. I couldn't get myself out of the slump as well, and it took me a long time actually to sort of shift that. And I think that that was one of the reasons as well that I was sort of so worried about the pandemic back in March um, and moved back with my parents for the lockdown. Although now I'm in a place of my own again, so now I'm starting to think about it again. Like, how can I make sure that doesn't happen to me again? <laughs> Mm, and what coping yeah. mechanisms will help to make sure that I do have those kind of conversations where you can bounce ideas around and mm. I can feel like myself. And I think a lot of it is now I feel better in myself. So I, I do feel better able to cope. It was just a, a perfect storm, basically, in Berlin yeah. of all yeah. these things happening at the same time or not happening. Um, yeah. And I was really struggling. And also, yeah, like I, like we were saying about being single, it was at a time when I mean, people were getting engaged left, right and centre. And I had my career. That's what I had that was good. And so if that was taken away from me or I wasn't doing very well in my career and Mm. I felt like, well, I've got nothing in my life. And that's how it felt at the time. When you've told yourself you've made that trade, then if that trade's not going right. But I, I really want to talk to you about the single supplement now and how that came from this period. Because yeah, as I, we've just joked that, you know, you couldn't exactly be called the poster girl for single life at that point. You know, you've painted this harrowing picture of, of being really lonely and isolated, actually. And maybe that's the thing that people fear about being single, mm. that, that isolation and loneliness and not having someone to turn to you know that that might be one of the things that drives people towards finding a partner against all odds yeah um what what's the link between the person who writes so positively about the single life now and that person having an absolute nightmare on their own (laughs) I think that although I probably was like the awful stereotype of the single person I mean like Bridget Jones in her pants drinking vodka straight out of the bottle you know it was kind of those levels of bad but I also I think doing all the sort of self-work that I did Mm. I realized that the only person that can make me happy is myself and there are plenty of people who are miserable and have mental health problems in relationships very true Um, and I think when I sort of 
started to get out again and put myself out there not to date but just to to make new friends or to have fun I realized that actually there's the flip side and the flip side is that I can have a really fulfilled amazing life and that it doesn't have to just be oh I'm single but I've got a great career yeah it doesn't have to be a compromise no it doesn't and there was more to my life than just a career and I think that (laughs) for a time it was because I was so single-minded about becoming a journalist I just was so focused on that everything else sort of fell by the wayside Mm. and it was just good to like yeah make new friends or reconnect with old ones um, and do some fun things like I went to Morocco for a month by myself that was life-changing actually I think I just got back in sounds very cheesy (laughs) got back in touch with who I actually was and I realized that actually I still needed to be on my own to sort a few things out because I think that I at that point I was like right just find anyone kind of that's it's a horrible feeling when you've got that kind of like scarcity mindset my friend says um where you're just like there's no one left I just have to get anyone um (laughs) (laughs) like it it takes us back to the pandemic like when the shelves are empty and you know we're all buying weird types of flour just to because we suddenly needed a pie (laughs) (laughs) and uh I just sort of realized actually one I should be single for a while just to sort myself out and two I don't need to rush it and I don't want to ever settle So I may as well enjoy my life now Mm. instead of that constant feeling like you're on the shelf waiting to be picked off the shelf. Yeah. I didn't want that. That doesn't make you feel good about yourself. I want to enjoy what I have now and realize all the good stuff in my life. And also I just sort of noticed that like lots of my friends and relationships weren't necessarily happy and were still having to do loads of work on themselves too. So it wasn't because I was single. Yeah, well, this is the thing. I mean, being in a couple doesn't save you from that. You know, like, in fact, I think a lot of people, it delays doing the work for a long time. And and actually, that's when you see these people kind of hitting midlife crises or whatever, because they've invested everything into their relationship. And then it will never be enough. You know, if, if you're not fully comfortable in, you know, with yourself as a human being, no relationship is going to save you from that confrontation one day somewhere along the line you know you're just kicking it into the grass but it it will come back yeah exactly and also it was really important for me to sort of stand on my own two feet yeah not rely on someone else fixing me or saving you like a princess yeah that was a horrible (laughs) because you do get sucked into these fairy tales Mm. you know I was even in Berlin maybe I'll just meet somebody and suddenly everything will be great again and you know occasionally I'd go on a dating app Mm. um but that just makes you feel worse (laughs) I wouldn't fancy it myself (laughs) then I actually launched the single supplement last year and I it was partly because I was going freelance again and I really wanted to shift away from just writing about the news because of all the reasons Mm. that we've talked about and to write more creatively and I wrote a article just as a favour to an editor on a different desk at Huff Post, which was about being the only single person in my friendship group. And the reaction was amazing. I mean, I had people telling me their life stories via DM on Twitter, wow. um, emails, people saying it feels like you've gone inside my head and, you know, expressed what mm. I thought. And I just thought, oh, actually, there's a market for this and there's a gap in the market because everything out there for single women at the time was really patronising or just assumed that you were really desperate and that you just wanted to end being single. It was just a temporary singing and dancing. 
And so I just decided on a whim, right, I'm just launching this newsletter and I did it. Um, <laughs> That's amazing. And it's been so successful, hasn't it? It's such a it's such a popular newsletter. Yeah, and I and it's read by people who are not single, um, by men as yeah, well. I, I keep half an eye on it. You know, <laughs> it's none of my business, but I like it. I love it. <laughs> um, and yeah, it really took off when um, Emma Watson said that she was uh, self partnered, mm. and basically, I was featured in the Guardian, and um, not remotely anything to do with my own journalism because the journalist didn't even know who I was, but just off the back of the newsletter. And I got like a thousand subscribers basically overnight. Um, And then once you got that, it starts to snowball, of course. So it's been featured in, you know, so many magazines and stuff. Um, Yeah, yeah. And there's been a community off the back of that on Facebook, which is over a thousand people. So... Yeah, it's been really interesting. And there's such different camps in the sort of uh, single world as well. uh, I'm sort of navigating. It's quite funny. (laughs) Some people (laughs) never want to ever get a partner. And so they're quite like, they don't want to hear anything to do with dating or anything to do with, you know, feeling miserable. They only want to hear about single positivity. (laughs) And then there's people who are single actually really quite happy and comfortable in their life but wouldn't mind a partner in the future and Mm. then there's the people who hate it and want to find a partner but they're reading it because maybe they curious about maybe feeling okay about being single but they're not quite on board yet (laughs) (laughs) they're ready for that moment of revelation yeah yeah and I do explore the highs and lows it's not just all like being single is great I explore issues like you know the financial pressure of being single or wanting to be a mother for example um mm. so it's not all singing and dancing well it's it's a grown-up discussion yeah. isn't it about <laughs> you know like <laughs> you're you know being allowed to find the balance in the life that you live and being able to like it but also to identify the bits that aren't very nice and I mean I think we've been allowed to have that conversation about being in a, in a relationship for a long time so there's no reason why we can't do it about being single as well yeah and I think that that's what I've noticed is that some people are quite defensive about it and they're like either they're single and they're kind of defensive because they're like well if I want to find a partner I want to find a partner and it's like okay well that's fine like (laughs) that's actually fine and then there's sort of the defensive side from people in relationships who are a bit like what are you saying that I'm not fulfilled just because I'm married or whatever, which is <laughs> totally not true either. But yeah, just that there are a lot of single people and they all have different um, experiences, but there are also common threads. And a lot of it is, I feel like I should be doing this, but I kind of don't want to. Um, right. <laughs> so I feel yeah. like I should be getting the husband to house and the two children or whatever um and the ring on my finger but I, I'm kind of actually happy and I'm enjoying myself and it's liberating and there wasn't that many articles or books um there's a few books for those kind of people and and so that's what the newsletter's done and for me personally it's also been that creative outlet I have to write I write it every week and I have to write it <laughs> Yeah, because yeah, people discipline. email me and say, is the newsletter coming today? You know, if I don't get it out early, <laughs> which I sometimes <laughs> miss the deadline. And so it forces me to come up with a new idea every every week. And that being forced to, to do that helps me actually come up with ideas because I have to. Mm. And so it's been really good for me this year, especially because it's been giving me something to focus on as well. Because when you're freelance, you're kind of all over the place with your <laughs> yeah, timetable. yeah, yeah. yeah. But every week I write the newsletter 
so yeah it's been really good for me as a writer as well that's lovely and it's just so great to talk to you because I think you know there's no sense with you that you've got an axe to grind about it in either direction and I think that's (laughs) that's really wonderful I think we need more of that and less of the kind of sense that we all have to find this ideological position on absolutely every part of Mm. our lives it's just not true it's just not how it works really we can all be pragmatic I think yeah and I want to get people thinking about it um that's what actually I like the fact that there are people in relationships all my friends who are all married <laughs> they all read it and then they'll be like I hadn't thought about how when I say that it makes you feel like this and you know mm. I'm never trying to attack I'm no. and I'm not trying to judge but you know I hate it when people say my other half for example makes me <laughs> Oh, that's so interesting. Because it makes me feel sick. I'm thinking, am I just a half a person walking around just a half a person? Because I actually feel like a whole person. Um, Well, maybe the truth is that you get to be a whole person because you're single. And actually, those of us in a couple surrender a a big chunk of ourselves. Maybe that that points to the the big advantage of being single. (laughs) I love that. I wasn't brave enough to say that in the newsletter. (laughs) Oh, I'd have gone there. (laughs) I love it. But yeah, I mean, if I could have gone back to me being in Berlin and said, you know, in just a few years time, you're going to be in newspapers and on the radio talking about being single, I would have told you to go away because I was even too ashamed to admit how long I'd been single back then. Uh, I used to be really vague about it or just not ever admit it. And now I'm just tell everyone. (laughs) Funny how things change. Um, But I also just feel more like myself and it's helped in all of the other areas of my life as well, I'd say. Mm. So if people want to read this, where do they go? So it's thesinglesupplement.substack.com. Brilliant. And it's also on social media, although I'm I'm mainly using my own personal one, which is at Nicola underscore Slauson on Twitter and Instagram, because it's quite hard keeping up with so many social media profiles. (laughs) Oh, tell me about it I I burnt out a little bit trying to do it all so um so yeah (laughs) yeah I think that's good but but you're such an interesting presence on there and and really inspiring in a somebody telling the truth about the world kind of a way which is always such a pleasure to read I try and be vulnerable um even when it gives you a vulnerability hangover because that's when I get the most (laughs) amount of messages and emails and even when I'm talking about my freelancing and writing yeah I'm trying to be positive because I do love it <laughs> but at the same time it can be really difficult so I try and keep the balance of like being real being vulnerable yeah yeah and being honest as well because I think that's as well in Berlin I was just pretending to be somebody I wasn't um I wasn't being myself and so it all came crashing down like a ton of bricks <laughs> amazing Nicola thank you so much it's been brilliant to talk to you I'll make sure all of your links go in the show notes so people can look you up Um, but thank you it's been fantastic to talk to you thanks so much for having me I'm so uh, privileged I feel privileged to be on (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much to Nicholas Lawson for such a thoughtful and revealing conversation you can subscribe to The Single Supplement at thesinglesupplement.substack.com or find Nicola on Instagram and Twitter as Nicola underscore Slauson. I'll be back next week with another brilliant writer who is intimate with winter. Thanks for listening. Hold up. 
Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. <laughs> 